0: For officers in the UI Department of Public Safety, it's core to our values to foster a safe and inclusive campus environment. We offer paid training and generous benefits, including 12-hour shifts, self-scheduling, retirement, and more. Our passion is fueled by the relationships we build with our students, faculty, and community. It's not only about being a resource and educating others, but supporting the Hawkeyes of today, tomorrow, and years to come. Help us make our community hashtag Hawkeye safe. Apply today.
1: Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.
2: You're listening to Puck and Roll. Here's your host, Patrick Lordy.
3: On episode eight, we talk prospects prospects and more prospects this is the prospect special in celebration of the opening of rookie cap turn it up because we got a lot to talk about you're listening to episode 8 of puck and roll and thank you for tuning in for another edition of puck and roll i am your host patrick lorty and before we talk about the up and coming stars let us look back at the past week and recap the news and rumors with this week's edition of the habs blitz without mentioning the debut of rookie camp in Montreal from September 15 to the 21st, 27 of the best Canadians prospects will hit the ice to show the team what they've got. Some will return to the juniors. Some will get a shot at the AHL. Some will get a shot at the main camp and maybe even start the year in the national hockey league. New Rockets head coach, Hull, along with his assistants, Kelly Buckberger, Martin and Marco Marciano will be the ones evaluating the players during practice and off the ice. There will be a home away contest against the Ottawa Senators' prospects, as well as an exhibition against the U Sports All-Stars. Prospects will also be going through various seminars, focusing on nutrition, sports psychology, the science of sports, as well as general conditioning. Of the 27 players invited to camp, we will find 16 forwards, eight defensemen, and three goalies. Some notable names include Xavier Simoneau, Gianni Fairbrother, Caden Gouli, Matthias Norlander, Raphael Harvey-Pinard, Riley Kinney, Jan Maisak, Jesse Ilanen, just to name a few of the names that you have already heard more than once on the show. Speaking of rookies, according to Renaud Lavoie from TVA Sport, the 2022 amateur draft will be held in Montreal on July 7th and 8th, while, re- while reporter Michael Alancette from Le Soleil de Québec states that the QJMHL draft will be held June 12th to the 18th. This will mean the NHL draft will be held two weeks earlier than usual, where the Q's draft will be held three weeks earlier. With the main training camp fast approaching, there's of course no shortage of rumors. Former Arizona Coyotes defenseman Jason Demers openly stated on Tony Marinero's The Sick podcast that he hopes MacBergevin will offer him a contract, even if it's a PTO. Demers is using an old tactic of using the media to boost his chances of being contacted by a team, although no word on if Alex Galchenyuk has done the same. On the main roster, we have recently found out that Carey Price is already back on his skates and training on the ice. So is Jonathan Drouet, who is smiling ear to ear and has been welcomed back with open arms by his teammates, most notably by Tyler Toffoli and Nick Suzuki, who have been seen to be taking some kind of leadership role as they were the two players who volunteered to represent the Habs on media day. Regular season starts October 13th in Toronto, folks, against the Maple Leafs at 7 p.m. We're closer than you think. Go Habs, go. (laughs) Now it's time to go to our distinguished panel consisting of Scott Cowing, Sebastian High, and Joshua Rosa, and we're going to start, of course, with prospects, guys. We're talking prospects. We're talking more prospects. Oh my goodness, how many prospects are there? Let's talk about. Oh, I don't know, Kaden Gooley and Matthias Norlander, maybe. You know, I'm guessing these are probably the two bigger names that are coming out of rookie camp that actually have a shot of making the team.
0: I, I, I don't think either of these guys should make the team, really no matter how well they perform in camp. Like, we've, we've seen the Habs get, like, I, I guess just make reactionary decisions based on one good camp to the detriment of players. We saw this We caught with, with Kakanyemi, whose first NHL season was phenomenal. Like, like, his first season, his rookie season was his best season in the league but it also led to him being burnt out. And I, I really do believe that just staying in Finland for another couple of years would have been very good for his development. And we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in now with him being a member of the Carolina hurricanes and the aforementioned Victor Mette, Another example where he was very close to being NHL ready. He had a very good camp, but you don't throw a young guy like that onto the first pairing, right? Like you have to also just think of what, of how do you develop these players best? And, Matthias Norlander, for instance, has a phenomenal offensive ceiling. Like he, he is already a power play quarterback in a high-level men's pro division in Sweden, in the SHL. He is probably going to be playing on the first pairing there. And yet, uh, the, his, the last game that he played before coming over to training camp was probably his worst game that he'd ever played in the SHL. It was, he played nine minutes. Uh, there were three goals scored when he was on the ice, each of which was directly his fault. And I really, I'm really really hoping that that one game can just be a little bit of a wake-up call to Montreal's management to not rush him because, again, this is a high ceiling. You don't want to risk it just for, for one season on the third pairing. It's just you not also, worthwhile. You also don't want another Cotkin-Yambi is what you're saying, right? For sure. Like, like, like why, why would you want that, right? And with Caden Gooley, he's entering his last potential season in the WHL. Give it to him. He played, like, three games last season in the WHL before getting injured. Or less than that. I think he may play like two, like he, he barely played last season. Give him a full season to dominate, right? Like if he plays a season, he's going to dominate same thing at the world juniors. He's going to be the potential captain and he's going to dominate give him that year. Cockney, never dominated a single league since he was drafted. And I think it really hurt him and just give these two guys at least another year each, maybe two. And then you might actually get like legit top four defensemen when they're Totally ready for the NHL, and they won't bounce up and down between Laval and Montreal.
4: I still remember uh, myself going back to what you said about Kakinemi mean, not dominating in any league, Sebastian. I remember when I was covering some of games back when he was in the SM Liga on a uh, loan uh, season, and Daniel Odette, the HAB's former farmhand, outplayed him and actually had three points that Kakinemi had won. And I think it was just a little breadcrumb that started rolling down the hill and transformed to the $15 offer sheet and all that other stuff. And going back to what you said about Gouley and Nolan Norlander specifically, I think they're definitely at opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of where they are in their development. Norlander's already playing in a men's league, which is a really good point to make regarding Habs thinking, oh, maybe he could play for the Canadians. He's already has experience playing with a number of veteran NHL guys, one of which being, let's say, Max Freeberg. He used to play for the Canadians farm teams a while back. He's the captain there. And there's definitely a pension for that he could play for the Canadians come this season. However, in both cases, I do think that it's best to just let them continue to develop and let them play in their respective leagues. Kaden uh 2019 20 season was fantastic, but even then, that was just a brief glimpse of what he can do. He's still 19 years old. He's still yet to have his overager season. As you said, Sebastian, let him play and let him be the big uh, big top-four defenseman he can be in uh, Prince Albert. And same thing goes for Norlander. Let him play with some talented guys, give him the opportunities. Bringing them to training camp, I think that's a great idea, and I think it would be really good for their development. But as for bringing him to the NHL, I think we need to wait a little bit before we can actually make that decision just yet.
3: It's also important to note that Rob Ramage said about Matthias Norlander specifically, and I quote, it's Montreal or Frolunda for Matthias Norlander. Says he's a suspect to push for a spot with the Canadians. And also, uh, Sebastian, I'd like like you maybe to talk about Jesse Ilanid a little bit because he's also someone that um, is really high on the depth chart uh, as far as Montreal is concerned, at least. Even Rob Ramage again said that the expectations are that he'll play games in Montreal this year. Do you think he's actually NHL ready at this point?
0: I don't think he's ready for any full-time spot. And the beauty of Montreal's winger depth is that there are like, what, like 10 or 11 guys ahead of him. So, and you only need eight wingers at one time on a team. So there's a beauty in just giving him that time just by virtue of the other depth that we have. Because, I mean, look, you only played a game with the Habs last season and it was a throwaway last game of the season kind of thing against Edmonton. And he played like nine minutes and he looked fine. He, he he didn't stick out in any way, which was pretty decent for your first NHL game. Um, but like uh, he he I, I really think he's gonna benefit from a full season in Laval because he's gonna be a top six win- winger. And like when he's on his game and when he's not burnt out, he is the most electrifying player in Laval. Like, like I, I love, Raphael, I love Ryan Paling. I, I love so many of the young players, like you look at Caden Primo, you look at everyone there, Josh Brooke. Yes, Ilonen is the most exciting one of the bunch when he's not burnt out. He has a wicked shot. He is one of the fastest players in the AHL already at this age. And he has like good mitts. Like he has a high ceiling. I'm just going to revert to the same point I made beforehand. Let him just dominate the AHL for a year or two and then bring up later. I'm totally fine with him giving him like five or 10 games this season just to like give him some experience, show him how, how like also just to, the traveling is in the NHL, and how it differs from the AHL. But as, as, as far as a full-time role is concerned, I, I don't think that's in danger of happening or likely to happen this season.
4: I definitely agree with you on that one about Yohan being allowed to dominate in the AHL. And I feel like he could, if he was given a full season to play, it reminds me a lot of Charles Fudon with his release. He has that big, powerful, booming shot that's accurate. And regarding what you said about him playing for the Canadians, I think it's best that the Habs did of Violin and what they did with Adoleski play him here and there, give him a couple of games here and there, and just let him feel out the NHL. The Canadians had a really bad pension in the past for forcing guys into minutes that they weren't ready for. You can think back to Christian Thomas when they played him in 18 games in 2014-15, and he just wasn't ready for that kind of ice time or that kind of role. And it shows that he's been bouncing around Europe for the past four seasons not being able to find a home. So I definitely think that as for you, and then the Canadians have a really, really talented player on their hands, but does it give him a chance to realize that he can be a talented player and then he can be that dominant force, but just give him a chance to really prove it. I'm
3: gonna ask Josh a question. I'm curious to know what your opinion on this is. Uh, do you think that maybe the way that the Espericok and Yemi uh, offer sheet went down, and also the comments that that started, you know, going around um, the internet, it's called it like that. Um, about the fact that he was rushed into the NHL. And even Mac Bergeret admitted that he should have stayed another year in Finland. Now, do you think the Canadians are going to be a little more cautious with their prospects and say so they're going to say, okay, we're going to start taking more time you know, maybe get like like Sebastian and Scott have been saying, like, you know, give an extra year either in the juniors or in the AHL to really dominate, or is it going to be just one of those situations being like, listen, we need good players now, and if there's somebody that stands out, we'll just give you a shot and let's just run with it.
2: God, I hope they learn from this because we can't really afford too many more, yes, very cocky yummies happening around here. Uh, I, as an outsider of the organization, looking in. To me, it always seems like a way to drum up interest publicly. So you get guys like the third overall pick, Yesperi Kotkaniemi, or the young guys like the uh, Norlanders or the Mete's or the Galchenyuk's, and you bring them up super quick to drum up interest. It's a surprise that these guys are up here. It's a surprise that they're playing so well and so soon that you get more people watching more excitement with this these guys coming in I don't know if that's the case but that's how it feels to me and I feel that they should really focus more on the team that they have and putting a better team on the ice in in, to end the future than drumming up interest for right now hopefully the team's good enough that they could just roll with what they have instead of having to do with yeah. some publicity.
3: Exactly. It's been a reoccurring theme on this show as well as to how you know we live in this ridiculous age where we rush prospects and then we pay them an insane amount of money because of what they can potentially do rather than what they have done in the past. And that seems to have... well let's let's call a spade a spade it's, it's screwed us over you know i mean like uh, i hope christian dvorak ends up being the player that he's supposed to be but i still believe in kk you know, i mean he's he's guy you know he's his, his ceiling is incredibly high so but anyways but i totally agree with you josh like yeah, the, the, the slower old school approach being like go through the proper levels dominate like you have to You don't need to have 18, 19 year olds in the NHL, you know, at at this point in time, even if they become 21, 22, 23 years old. If they come in and they dominate off the bat, then, yo, it's going to be such a fun product. And speaking of fun products, uh, Mr. Cowan, Mr. Scotts, you have a couple of players from the WHL that seems to have uh, popped on your screen that you really want
4: to talk about. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Well, I think for the past or for its entire tenure, the WHL has definitely developed reputation as a bit more of a defensive league as compared to some of the OHL and q of its high-scoring nature. But over this past season, even though they didn't really get to play a full season, there was a lot of guys that actually stood out to me. And I've compiled a few that I just wanted to talk about, the main main one of which being Peyton Krebs. He's a 17-4-4 pick at the Vegas Golden the Knights in the 2019 NHL Draft, And in my opinion, he's the best player in the WHL right now eleven, 180 pounds. He led the league in scoring last season. He's put up four consecutive 40-point seasons. And he even had a four-game cup of coffee with the Golden Knights this past season and a five-game cup of coffee with the Henderson Silver Knights, where he put up point-per-game totals. He's a super talented playmaking center. He's got great offensive upside, great hands. His shot could leave a little bit to be, be desired, but he definitely seems like the kind of guy who can play those first-line minutes and really just make the players around him better down the middle. Leading directly on from that, on the opposite side of the spectrum of shooting, I actually wanted to bring up a little bit of a more out there kind of pick and a guy that I kind of just stumbled upon. And I was just browsing through prospects to talk about. And that is Lyndon McCallum. Now, this is a guy that a lot of people aren't going to be aware of. And for the most part, I wasn't aware of him until I checked the statistical leaders for the season, the WHL and actually led the league in goals of 21 goals and six assists for 27 points over 22 games. The craziest part is that just two seasons ago, he had seven points over 46 games. How did he get this to be this good this fast? I'm not really sure, but it definitely has to do with a lot. It definitely has a lot to do with the, with the cast of players that are around him. The team that he plays for, the Brandon Kings, is a very, very talented team. They're very, very depth-filled, and he seems to be the kind of guy who definitely benefits from a talented core around him. Now, some people could say that this isn't well to the NHL because it means that he can't really play well on his own, but it just means that he gels well with talented players, and that's not a bad thing at all. He was actually invited to the Vegas Golden Knights development camp as a tryout this, uh, just a few weeks ago. And while I'm not sure if he made it or not, I definitely, think he's, I definitely think he's a guy who could earn himself a professional contract down the line, whether it the AHL or the ECHL. Seems the a guy who has a lot more to show, and I don't think he's done quite yet. For finally, for the forwards at least, I want to talk about Ben McCartney really quickly, who is the 204th overall pick of the Arizona Coyotes. For a 204th overall pick, this guy has a lot more to show than I think than to the eye, than I think he's really giving himself credit for. He's a big power forward. He's a lot like Josh Anderson, I find in a lot of ways. And he had point per game totals of 25 uh, goals, 36 assists for 61 points over 61 games in 2019-20. He's fearlessness. He drives that hard. He has. He's named the assistant captain for the Brandon Wheat Kings. He has solid leadership abilities, decent hands, and he just seems to have a really great ability to finish off the rush. Now, going into the defensemen really quick, there's actually two defenders who I want to talk about, both of which are both from are both picks of the New York Rangers. Needless to say, the Rangers have a lot to look forward to for their future. Most people are probably going to be looking at the roster they have right now, with their high-flying offense, Arturian Panarin, but they actually have a lot of really good players coming from the grapevine that most people aren't going to be aware of, the main one of which is Braden Schneider, who was their 19th overall pick in 2020, and he's a big six foot two, 200-pound reliable two-way defender with high offensive upside. He finished third amongst WHL defensemen in scoring this past season of 20. 20- 27 points over 22 games, and he has career highs of 42 points over 60 games in 2019-20. He joins the rush of fees, he has a, bit, a great ability to finish in front, which is rare for a defenseman, and he has an absolutely lethal shot. Wrist shot or slap shot, this guy is just dominant from the point. He's captaincy material, and he has a solid one-timer off the circle on the power play. He had a two-game cup of coffee with the Hartford Wolfpack this past season, but I definitely think he's a guy who will see consistent professional minutes come next season. I also I, I, really, I really love that uh, little
3: Transformers reference that he's there's more than meets the eye. like, <laughs> yeah. like more than meets, <laughs> meets the eye. <laughs> How about we go east? Sebastian and Josh, you guys are gonna be covering a little bit of uh, the OHL during the seasons, particularly the Guelph Storm and the Kitchener Rangers, what do we got that really seems to pop out? I know there's some guys like Andrew LeBlanc, Valentin Zugin, Cam Allen that's, you know might uh, have some great seasons, but like what's on your list? Let's start with Sebastian. What do you got for us?
0: Well, <clears throat> the only player I have down for the Kitchener Rangers is uh, the guy that I just mentioned, Andrew LeBlanc. Um, the Kitchener team is a bit interesting this year in that there are, there isn't really there aren't many established players and there aren't many draft eligible players that look overly promising, but at the same time, because we missed a full season of OHL hockey, there are going to be some random players that no one followed ever that are just going to become top three round selections because they just blow up. Right? Like we saw this last draft with William Trudeau, who was on no one's radar. Um, And then all of a sudden this season, he's uh, like, he was in Bob McKenzie's, Top like 100, so like crazy things happen, and uh, yeah. So Andrew LeBlanc is the one guy that that I'm going to be looking at a bit, and he's a pretty like um, lanky player, so he still really needs to put on a lot, a lot of muscle. And uh, so he he's uh, like a center, you can also play play the wing, and he's very young for his draft class, which is always a, an encouraging little thing. Of you just have a bit more runway, right? If you're born in the later months of the draft, rather than like right in October, or November. And uh, he was the 17th overall pick in the 2020 OHL draft, but he's played zero OHL games. So it's a real wild card and it'll be fun to see just what he can do because he should get an opportunity in the top six. And I'm looking forward to see if he can really take some steps forward. And uh Josh, I'm not sure if you want to talk about some of the, the Guelph Storm guys here.
2: Yeah, uh one guy that I'm particularly interested in while looking up recently is Valentin Zugin. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, He's from Russia. Uh, He has played in the MHL, which is similar to the AHL for the NHL in Russia for the KHL. In the MHL, he played 44 games last year and came up with 10 goals and 25 points, which you think is pretty good. And then you realize he's 16 years old. He's really young, and he's really interesting to look at coming up from that. And then, uh, also on the Guelph Storm, is the third overall pick in the OHL, Cameron Allen. Defender, he looks to be very interesting with the under-15 Nationals. He had 26 points in 33 games as a defender. He has that offensive upside that it can be really, really fun to watch. That I'm hoping to come see at the
0: OHL level sometime soon. And w- one more guy that I that I'm really excited for in Guelph would be Danny Jilkin. So th- this is a player that should be Guelph's offensive star this season. Um, he's a six foot two centerman, and um, he put up 15 points in in 60 games in his draft minus two season. So he, he played a full season two years before he's going to be drafted, which on its own is pretty impressive. And he has a booming shot. He's a, he's a real goal scorer. Um, and I, I really think he's going to be the go-to guy for Guelph. And I would not be surprised to see him put up 1.2 points per game or something. Like, like decently over a point a game is kind of my expectation for him. But I'm, I'm putting the bar a little bit high just because I, I like his profile a lot.
3: All right, how about we continue down the 401, cross the border into Quebec? Uh, Scott, how about we uh, start with you? Uh, What do we got in the queue? I know there's Cedric de Ruisseau you wanted to talk about, who's actually part of the Canadians' Rookie Camp. How about we start with him? Yeah, well,
4: the important thing to note about the Lowell Rockets this upcoming season, as I mentioned before, is their wealth of AHL-contracted players, which will be very, very helpful to how good they're going to be come this season, especially with a new head coach and everything like that. And Cedric Desviseaux is just one of these additions who I'm really looking forward to watching. Now, coming out of the Q&JHL directly off an AHL contract, most people will be quick to assume that this guy has a lot of low upside. But after what happened with Raphael Harvey Pinard, I say this guy is the limit for all these Q&JHL pickups that the Canadians are making. Another good point to make regarding this is that Desrusso is small at 5'8 and he is, doesn't weigh that much right now at 106 pounds. But to, your, to, to directly offset that, I'm going to put up one name Alex Berboulay, the Tampa Bay Lightning's current top prospect who came out of the blue as an undrafted free agent and actually made his Lightning debut this past season, putting up three goals. Over 15 games, and in a lot of ways, he was the one that got away from the Canadians because the Canadians were rumored to be interested in acquiring him before Tampa ultimately scooped him up. And they definitely made up for that by acquiring a lot more QMJHL players recently. ones of which like Art have really worked out rather well. Deshree so led the QMJHL in scoring in 2020, 2021 with 78 points over 40 games. He has high offensive instinct, and he's also quick and quick, and he's just super duper quick, that's the most I can say. He was plus 46 this past season. He was a great uh, performer in the playoffs, and I think it'll be an interesting guy to look out for. And even if he doesn't make the Laval Rocket, he will absolutely tear it up in the ECHO of October of the year, so I'm really looking forward to that. Sebastian, you wanted to uh, talk about a couple of guys as well.
0: Yeah, so so the one, the one big profile I want to do here is on probably the player I'm most excited for for this upcoming draft, which is saying something considering it's the same draft as Shane Wright and all these big players and that would be uh justinquotti uh who is this undersized like centerman and oh you can also play the wing and um he was actually taken under the wing of Xavier Simon this past season with the uh, uh and um he is a a goal scorer first and foremost. So Simon is a playmaker and they kind of play on the same line. So it was a nice one, two punch of the playmaker, playmaker and the goal scorer. And he's five foot six and he put up 17 goals in 34 games. So he scored half a goal per game in his draft minus one season. And he's very young for the draft. He was born in July. So this is a player with a really high offensive ceiling who slipped in the QMJHL draft because of his size. He fell to the first pick of the second round when he's projected to, to go around like sixth overall. And, I think he's a candidate to slip in the upcoming NHL draft as well. And he's a player I would just adore to see Montreal pick up because, again, he's a goal scorer. He's Kibikwa québécois. And um, he, he, he's, he scores in different ways. He has, he has a great shot to the point that his coach has no idea how he gets the power that he does on his shot. And he also scores a bunch of goals in dirty areas and just overall fun player that I'm looking forward to track this season.
4: Not to mention, who is his linemate this past season? None other than the former Canadians Canadian pick Xavier C-Mino.
0: So,
3: <laughs> <point>. <laughs> Needless to say, guys, like now that we we, can, we we just scratched the surface as to as you know, the, the top prospects across the uh, the CHL. Man, this is gonna be a deep draft, and we only covered Canada so far. I mean, like, we didn't even we didn't even start talking about the prospect in the USHL and Europe and Russia and everything. This is gonna be some deep, 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 deep stuff. So, who knows? Maybe twenty twenty two will give us a couple of Hall of Famers. To be continued. <laughs> It is time for the professor himself, Mr. Joshua Rosa, with On This Day in Habs History. On this day in Habs History.
2: On this day, September 17th, the year of our Lord, 1933, Claude Provost, not Provost, as my. Ontarian tongue would pronounce it was born in Montreal. Prevost would play his whole career in Montreal, resulting in 1,005 games played, behind only Henri Richard, Larry Robinson, Bob Gainey, and Jean Bellevaux in games played in the blue, blanc, and rouge. Prevost has the dubious honor of being the only player to win eight or more Stanley Cups and not be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Provo was also the very first recipient of the Bill Masterton Trophy for perseverance. Montreal ties the New York Rangers with the most Masterton Trophy winners with five, those five being Provo, Brie Richard for celebrating his 20 seasons as a player, Serge Savard, for winning a seven Stanley Cups in 11 years, Saku Koivu for overcoming non Hodgkin's lymphoma, and Max Pacioretty for returning better than ever after suffering a concussion and fractured vertebrae in his neck from a hit by Zdeno Chara. And finally, it wouldn't be on this day in HAB's history without mentioning Gila Lafleur, it seems. But I would be remiss to not mention that Lafleur made his Canadian debut on September 17th, 1971. In a preseason game against the Boston Bruins, he would register three assists. Just eight years later, Lafleur would re- debut his first and only album to the music world, and consists of six disco backing tracks over which Guy Lafleur teaches you the beautiful game comes in French and English, so there's a version for everyone. Why not give it a listen? After hearing the rest of this very special Prospect Heroes on Puck and Roll, of course.
3: I swear, Josh, we're about to to rename your segment On This Day in Guy Lafleur's Life. You know, <laughs> this is incredible. But yeah, at the end of the show, we'll play the a clip of uh, that little... Um, I don't know, disco-inspired uh, pop song or whatever. It's pretty interesting. Whatever
2: you could call that. Show. I don't know. I don't know,
3: man. We, we weren't around back then, and we don't want to step on anybody's toes, especially our parents, right? So um, I also... Um, I am going to play the role of Joshua Rosa right now. I uh, I have a story of my own. Uh, this actually popped up during the day and started making the rounds on the internet. So um, I'm not gonna play the whole <laughs> the whole theme because this is a copyright of Joshua Rosa but I'm gonna have I have a little story that's, that I dug up. now this originated originated from Facebook off the pen of George Kuhn I hope I'm pronouncing that properly uh, which has a vintage hockey profile or something or another I'm not entirely sure who he is but the story was uh, shared by me from a friend of mine and let me read this word for word uh, in case you guys didn't um, Hear about this story, so we're going to call it on this day, September 13th, the year of our Lord 1976. <laughs> Sam Pollock made a brilliant trade with the Colorado Rockies. Wayne Gretzky was 15 years old at the time, and Pollock saw him as a future franchise player, so he arranged a trade with the Colorado Rockies, sending prospects Ron Andruff and Sean Shanahan for the option of exchanging first-round draft picks with Colorado in 1980. That's four years later. Pollock wanted the topic in 1980, gambling that Gretzky would be draft-eligible at age 18 and that Colorado would be the last-place team that year. And he won that gamble when the Rockies finished in last place in 1980, earning them the number one pick in the annual amateur draft. This gave Montreal the option of exchanging their first-round pick for Colorado's, which they did. So the Rockies drafted Paul Gagné, giving Montreal their number one pick. At the time of the trade, amateur players became NHL draft-eligible at age 20. The legal landscape of the NHL was changing. There were lawsuits brewing involving amateur players like John Tonelli and Ken Linesman, which challenged the NHL draft-eligible age, which was eventually lowered to 18. Sam Pollock was so ingrained into the NHL league office that he had actually written the rules for the 1967 expansion draft. It's unthinkable that he would not have known about the changes imminent in draft age eligibility. He gambled that Gretzky would be draft eligible at age 18 in 1980. His cost was negligible. Androp and Shanahan were AHL players who didn't fit into Montreal plans. Gretzky, born January 26, 1961, along with Mark Messier, born January 18, 1961, became draft eligible in 1979, but not by birth date. Special rules were created to facilitate the transfer of former WHA players into the NHL. Amateur players were born... Sorry, excuse me. Amateur-born players... Let me try that again. Amateur players born before January first, nineteen 1961 were eligible along with any younger player who played in the WHA in 1978-1979. Gretzky and Macy were among these younger players. Since the, these younger XWHA wha players were professionals, their eligibility wording excluded the word amateur. This is why the 1979 draft was renamed the entry draft, where previously it had been the amateur draft, because these young players were professional players and not amateurs. The NHL struggled with the question of underage eligibility. A debate over this topic, plus the busy agenda for the 1979 June meetings, forced the league to postpone the draft from the weekend of June 10th until August 9th, 1979. This gave the NHL an extra two months to settle the eligibility issue, which would require the blessing of the NHLPA, as well as the key players in major junior hockey. The league also faced legal pressure from agent Art Kaminsky, who insisted that his client Tom McCarthy be eligible for the draft or he would sue the NHL. McCarthy was not due to turn 19 until the end of July, so by waiting until August, the NHL was able to draft him as a 19-year-old rather than an 18-year-old. But Drafting in August also meant that the NHL will be holding the latest draft in its history, another record that is all but certain to stand the test of time. Finally, the issue was settled when the league agreed to allow the drafting of 19-year-olds in 1979, with the promise to widen the pool to include 18-year-olds in 1980. So Pollock's vision was validated as he held the rights to select the first player in the 1980 draft, which for the first time would include 18, 18-year-olds. But Gretzky slipped through the, through his grasp for reasons beyond the control of the NHL and its draft rules. Regardless of NHL draft rules, we live in a society governed by the rule of law, which is higher authority than the NHL. Gretzky had signed a personal services contract with Peter Pocklington, the owner of the WHA Edmonton Oilers, not a standard WHA players contract, which would terminate when the league ceased to exist. He owed his performance to Pocklington alone and only the Oilers owner could release him from the contract. As a result no NHL team could claim a legal right to employ him. This was a clever tactic by Paul to ensure that he and his Oilers would be a part of the NHL in the post-WHA expansion. It was for this reason alone that Gretzky was never drafted by an NHL team, even though the eligibility rules for the 1979 entry draft were crafted specifically to include players with his unique circumstances. As such... Gretzky was ruled exempt for the NHL's 1979 entry draft, and the Oilers were allowed to retain his rights. In 1980, this is where it gets rough. In 1980, Montreal drafted Doug Wickenizer with the first pick, bypassing French-Canadian Denis Savard. By then, Pollock had left the Canadiens organization. Messier was drafted in the third round, 48th overall by the Oilers in the 1979 NHL entry draft. The NHL avoided a draft dilemma by allowing Edmonton to retain Gretzky's rights. But Macier had played for a defunct WHA team, the Cincinnati Stingers, and had to join a new one in the NHL and entered the league through the special entry draft rule as a player born after January 1st, 1961, who played in the WHA in 1978-79. So Pollock's brilliant vision and planning was thwarted by an unpredictable circumstance. But Gretzky came oh so close to joining the Canadians for the 1980s. Gretzky's arrival, arrival have compelled coach Scotty Bowman to remain in Montreal rather than leave to join the Buffalo Sabres. Would Guy Lafleur have enjoyed a career revival with a senderized linemate wearing number 99? Would Ken Dryden hold off his retirement for a few more seasons? We'll never know. <laughs> that note we are now going to backtrack a little bit and being joined by scott cowan and sebastian Hire for this final segment of the night we're going to talk a little bit about the whl we were going back from the forwards the defensemen and now let's go with the last line of defense and talk about goaltenders one in particular mr scott that you wanted to talk about was mr dustin wolf Uh, what do you got howling
4: about this man uh nice one patrick uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, just to lead in really quick off Wolf. Wolf is a seven-round pick at the Calgary Flames, and the one thing that the Calgary Flames haven't had for a long time is Golden They haven't really had a very consistent starter since for quite a while, and for the longest time, they just wrote of David Ridditch, who was about as inconsistent as they came. Now, they have a few prospects that are coming through the fold, so... Leading on from that, Dustin Wolf is another uh, Flames prospect who seems to be set to be a really talented goalie for them in the future. Granted, as a 7th front pick, obviously his upside is kind of middling at the moment, but his numbers speak for themselves. Even as the WHL has a reputation as a very defensive league, which tends to inflict goalies' numbers, Wolf's numbers basically break past that, and then they go into another realm, in my own opinion. Dustin Wolf had goals against average of 1.69 and 1.88 in 2018, 19 and 2020 and had seven shutouts and nine shutouts in the previous seasons to go along with 41 wins and 34 wins. Those are just ridiculous numbers for any goalie at the junior level and this definitely speaks to this guy's potential as a future NHL goalie. He also got into a free game cup of coffee with the Stockton Heat in 2020 and he put up a 2-on-1 record, 3.24 goals against average. The players just gave him a shot here and there. And I think as Calgary tries to move forward with a bit of an identity crisis going on, they're not sure whether they're going to be a contender or not they have jacob markham lock up on that long-term deal obviously they're hoping he can be the big time big time guy for the future i think having a guy like wolf come in as a prospect kind of be a solid 1b option down the line it would give calgary a really really solid one-two tandem which a lot of energy teams are running with nowadays not sure what you think about that sebastian but i'm gonna throw it to you yeah and then just hang in there with seventh round goalie picks if you look
0: at uh the 2020 draft uh, the the at least the goalie that I was really championing in that draft, where the Haps ended up pl- picking Jakub Dobes, who is still a wild card but inconsistent at best. Um, and the player that I was that I really wanted was Devin Levy, who um, basically just rose to stardom in the world in the World Junior Championships this last uh, in, in the winter, uh, putting up a in, he played in, in, in seven games. His goals against average was of 0. 0.75 and his save percentage was of uh, 0. 0.964, which, um, if you didn't know, is wow. pretty good. <laughs> yeah, wow. he dominated. And th- the reason I liked him a lot going into the draft was that he seemed to be really underrated because he didn't play in, in the CHL. He actually spent the season in playing Junior A. So he dominated that league. He played 37 games, uh, goals against average of 1.47 and the save percentage of uh, 0.941, which is amazing. But because the competition wasn't the greatest, there were a lot of question marks. But because he's from, he, he's, he's born in Montreal, and Montreal always loves to take a late round goalie flyer, and they have the last three drafts in a row now. He was the guy that I wanted. And the Habs didn't go with it and he ended up being drafted by the Florida Panthers and was then a key trade, uh, a, a key piece in the, uh, the trade for Sam Reinhardt. So poor Devin Levy is now a member of the Buffalo Sabres, uh, which Aww. is rather unfortunate, but again, he, he, he's a really good player. He is he's a little bit undersized at ju- uh, underside. He's six, feet, he's six feet tall, but like with goalies, they're usually like six, three and above. Uh, but he's, he's a really fun one. he, I think he might be a little bit overrated now after that spectacular world juniors, and he might come down to earth a little bit, but he's spending this season in a phenomenal goalie program at Northeastern university, which is where Caden Primo, uh, developed. So look out for, for him to really make his mark in the NCAA this season
4: playing behind two Habs prospects in Jane Struble and Jordan Harris. I definitely think that, uh, Levy kind of played the Uno reverse card in everybody when it comes to, there wasn't the lead-up to the World Juniors. It was the lead-up after the World Juniors for Levy, which is kind of rare for a lot of people. Most people didn't even know he was drafted when he was in the World Juniors, and then afterwards they found out the whole story. Now, going into next season, the Buffalo Sabres don't have a starting goaltender. Their starting goaltender is Aaron Dell, and if you count that as a starting goaltender, I'm just going to have to have a little talk with you. So I think <laughs> peace for the future is going to be really handy for their development. Granted, like Sebastian said, he's going to come down to earth a bit, I mean, his hype is definitely a bit overhyped right now. He still only played Junior A. He hasn't played NCAA. He hasn't played OHL. But I don't think the promise is there. And, I mean, Buffalo will take what they can get right now of goaltenders. And I definitely think that Leafy is just a solid piece to look at for the future.
3: If there's one thing, guys. We're never going to get invited by the Buffalo Sabres or Arizona Coyotes uh, for anything. Uh,
0: it's just a running I mean, jo- It's a running it's, joke on this show. It's, it's a running joke, but, I mean – Considering we're trying to be objective here, I feel like it's a risk that we have to I don't take. think they're going to invite anyone. I think they're just going to go
4: full Communist Party on just with whoa, all media. Boom! <laughs> the Reds are back.
3: <laughs> now, I, Scott Sebastian, I actually, before we uh, move on, because I know Sebastian had uh, a few players that he wanted to add to uh, in the um, Quebec Junior majors. I want to ask you guys a question. Um, based on what Scott said earlier, he, there was a sentence that he, he mentioned when he was doing his Dustin Wolf profile that kind of stood out. He mentioned that the WHL is more defensive-minded. And for anybody who's been following junior hockey for the last 90 years, in the Quebec junior majors, it's all-out offense goalies have horrible statistics and you and then you wonder how any of them ever made it to the NHL then again you know the stats are so inflated for so many players you got like guys who score 50 goals in a season that never get drafted can you guys pinpoint where does this mentality come from I mean it's I, I find it really interesting that you know the east coast is all out offense the west coast is all out defense and then the middle is well, literally in the middle, it's, there's a certain balance to it. Um, Scott, I mean, what, what's your
4: take on that? Another thing, it has to do a lot with the draft classes and sort of the result of the players that come from these leagues. And when you look at a guy in the QMJ show, let who scored 50 goals and was a third round pick who didn't work out. Then you kind of, it leads onto that aspect of, oh, maybe the QMJ show is kind of inflating its goals a little bit. I mean, going back to what you said about inflated goaling numbers, we were talking about Alexi Gravel a couple episodes ago, who was invited to the Habs development camp. His, yeah horribly, horribly inflated over these past seasons. He had a 3.96 goals against average, playing on one of the league's weakest teams. But I definitely think that that mentality just comes from the draft and you draft players who then thought live up to the role that they played in junior and the more players live up to that role and the more players live up to the role that that league is kind of based in, it builds this mentality that the league can, can't really escape from for the most part, which I think is why the OHL's adult competition is probably the best out of the free because it produces the most top-level players. It's produced Connor McDavid, it's produced such and then so on and so on you know you kind of get my point but i'm gonna ask him just to continue on with what he thinks about it
0: i think my answer would lie less in the draft and more just in i guess the the coaching because a lot of it just has to do with how the systems are played in the different leagues right and uh like whl teams the, the, the teams that at least historically have seen the most success have been ones with very like more conservative Defensive st- structures, right? Like more akin to what you see in the NHL on most teams, right? Like like the Barry Trotz New York Islanders system uh, that we were joking about earlier on, because Eric Gustafson signed that PTO there and it's gonna be a train wreck, possibly.
3: So amazing. To but
0: watch. but the WHL just it's it, it's just something that's happened over time that like the system that, that succeeds the most is usually just a bit more conservative. And then the OHL, it's definitely more offensive system, like more high octane with bigger scoring because you also have like as Scott was mentioning, some of the best players that are there and you you can't let the Conor McDavid, you you, you can't leave them in just a defensive system, right? Like you you let them just play. And because you have all these high offensive players, it's a bit more offensive. And then you have the QMJHL where it's just uh, the coaches decide to not have defense and just play offense most of the time. Um, And you get some really fun coaches out of that, right? Like, uh, I mean, like Duchamp and Bouchard are both, like they, they, they both coach in in the queue beforehand and in uh, the NHL are pretty defensive minded but in the queue because i mean like you look at at uh, at Ducharme like uh, when he was coaching the Halifax Mooseheads he had Drouin and McKinnon and like like ah uh, and um goalie goalie guy Habs draft pick what's his name again the yes thank you uh, I have, yeah, my, my current Washington Capitals legend, <laughs> legendary. And so he, he had this, this great team and he wasn't going to hold them back with the defensive system. But now in the NHL, when you look at Montreal's decor, where it's like big, slower guys, you go more defensive structure. Right. So I, I think it's about it's a mix of like the players that are available and also just like what has seen success in the league as a whole.
3: I think it's also just part of the of our DNA in Quebec because anybody who's ever played in a beer league in Quebec knows that we just can't play defense. So the that's why the games are always like twenty eight to twenty or something. So I think it's just part of our core DNA. But as well be the LNAH
4: at that point.
3: Pretty much, exactly. <laughs> uh, Sebastian, let's continue on the topic of the queue because you had a couple of players that you really wanted to mention, that we just didn't have time earlier. But let's do this. Let's how what, who who do we have left.
0: Okay, so the, the, the last QMJHL player that I really wanted to cover is a guy that I, I had ranked at 38th in my draft class, um, and he went undrafted. And that would be Peter Reynolds, who Oops. is a fit. ooh, I, I mean, again, I, I had him very high, probably <laughs> not entirely merited. Maybe a you also bit had of just a, attachment in there,
3: but. You also had Logan Mayu in the third round, I believe, right? So.
0: I mean, he wasn't in my final <laughs> thing because I took him <laughs> out entirely, but before it came out, he was at the end of my second. Movie? He wasn't in the third. He was at the end of my second, but he was still behind Peter Reynolds, who is this defensive centerman who every time I watched him, I just saw Peter Reynolds every single time, just like like without fail of just really smart defensively, gets the job done, um, like a good good playmaker, good facilitator, right? like. It's what Phil Deneau is, like offensively, he, he facilitates. It's he, he doesn't score, he just facilitates. And it's the same thing with Peter Reynolds, who isn't the most skilled finisher. He's, he's a good playmaker, but it's just like his defensive play of just like his positioning, his anticipation. Everything just stands out so much more because it's the human JHL where you have no defense, that when you see someone that, that that's like legitimately good at it, and like he, he's always in the right spot at the right time that like it really stands out and you you notice it. And he's a player I liked a lot. I I may have ranked him way too high just because of the competition, the queue where it just stands out so much more, but he's a player I liked a lot. And he he plays for the St. John sea dogs. Um, And I'm definitely going to look at this season because he's a guy that I really think deserves a draft pick next year.
4: I definitely think that's a good point to make, honestly, regarding um, Reynolds. And I definitely think he's, an offensive facilitator at the NHL level. And if I could lead on, actually, really quick, Patrick. There's a guy that I want to talk about. Sort of, we'll wrap things up a little bit here just to add on really quick. Going back right, to sir? the uh, WHL. I was talking about a couple of defensemen, and I mentioned how I want to talk about Rangers guys. But I'm actually going to throw it back to a team that I really, whose prospect pool I've just been really liking in general recently, and that's the Minnesota Wild. A lot of people, when the Wild were coming through, or over the past few seasons, everything about the Wild has been Kirill Kaprasov. Their big prospect has been Kuro Kaprasov. It's been Kuro Kaprasov, Kuro Kaprasov. Now, pros- now that the contract talks of Kaprasov are pretty much dead right now, no matter what Bill Guerin says, I'm going to look at a couple of the other prospects that the Wild have on offer, one of which is Damon Hunt. Damon Hunt is one of my favorite defensemen coming out of the WHO. And I, and I definitely think he's a guy that is a lot lower on a lot of people's boards. I mean, he was a third round pick after all, but he has a lot of high offensive upside and he is a fantastic skater. Now, there are some other aspects of his game that need some work, like his hands and his shot, his great passing abilities, his great skating abilities. And I think in the future he could be a really talented very appearing off-power play option. To make a point of some stuff I mentioned in the past, if I say he's a very Marc-Andre Bergeron, Eric Gustafson type, a guy who isn't the best defensively, but he gives you the offense when you need it the most.
3: All right, and to end this, uh, Mr. Joshua Rosa decided to body-check his way into the panel being like, I'm not leaving you guys like this. Uh, And he just sent me a little message there on the side, being like, I have a funny junior goalie story, he says. Josh, what is your funny junior goalie story, sir?
2: Yeah, it's just a story that I've heard a little bit ago, and it reminded me when we're all talking about the queue being goalie graveyard and how bad stats are. But this guy his apparently first professional organized game as a child, played goaltender, allowed 21 goals in that game. He later went on to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, part of the first group of Hall of Fame members. It was actually the first NHL player to have his number by the Montreal Canadiens, and it's Howie Morenz. Wow.
3: I think our jaws all dry. Catch (laughs) Uh,
4: catch us a mug by its cover.
3: (laughs) That is a fun fact. (laughs) That's
4: a bombshell for sure.
3: Yeah, seriously. Thanks, Josh. You know? (laughs) So, I mean, two minutes for roughing, but you won't feel any shame in the Bronx this time, are you, buddy?
2: (laughs) No, it's worth every minute.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, like, gentlemen, that was an incredible show. I mean, we covered so much since there's a prospect, but believe it or not, there's actually a lot more to cover. But I think we'll keep it for another episode. But my very, very humble thanks to Mr. Scott Cowan, Sebastian Hyde, Joshua Rosa. That was an incredible show. On behalf of myself and, of course, Sam Mendelssohn who listens to us all the time, I uh, want well also to give a big thank you to Shane Ivers over at SilvermanSound.com for providing the wonderful music for this show. Uh, tune in on Tuesday. Yes, this upcoming Tuesday. As mentioned on our social media, uh, we uh, will be changing our schedule around, uh, recording on Monday, posting on Tuesday. Just going to make things a lot easier for us we're going back to the regular format in which also mr. Anthony DeMarco will be joining us with a new segment called around the NHL so that should be really interesting so make sure you tune in. obviously uh, follow us on puck uh, the official website for this wonderful podcast where you can listen to all of the uh, prior episodes and follow us on social media. So once again, thank you very much. And we will see you on Tuesday for the next episode of Puck and Roll. And we leave you on on DJ Joshua Rosa's request with the little song by the legend himself, Guy Lafleur, entitled Un But." See you on Tuesday.
5: maîtrise ton lancer il faut que tu saches quand t'en servir il est important de toujours te fixer une cible quand tu pratiques tes lancers c'est en fermant ou en ouvrant ta palette que tu peux vraiment contrôler tes lancers pour le viser bas baisse ta palette pour lancer haut remonte là n'oublie pas que tes lancers du revers sont toujours plus difficiles à cause de la courbure du bâton attaque le gardien de but. Tu ne dois jamais garder la rondelle devant toi parce qu'il sait que tu ne peux pas lancer dans cette position-là. D'un coup d'œil il anticipe ta manœuvre soit de fin de relancer, soit de faire une passe, puis de recul. Il faut jamais que tu lui laisses savoir ce que tu vas faire. C'est déjà assez difficile de compter un but sans céder un avantage supplémentaire au gardien. Donc, pousse toujours la rondelle à côté de toi. Il ne pourra pas deviner ton intention. Ensuite, s'il le recueille jusqu'au filet, lance. S'il reste à l'extérieur, Fais semblant danser. L'attaquant doit toujours réagir à la position du gardien. C'est pour ça qu'il est très important d'avoir l'esprit clair. Tu sais qu'à pleine vitesse, avec deux ou trois joueurs à ta poursuite, t'as peut-être un quart de seconde pour regarder, analyser et réagir. Surtout, ne décide jamais d'avance ce que tu vas faire. Il faut que tu apprennes à penser vite, très vite. Souvent, on utilise le coup du revers quand on a une chance de déjouer le gardien dans une confrontation de un à 1. Manie la rondelle de l'avant-main au revers. Souviens-toi que la rondelle peut être contrôlée seulement si elle se trouve près du talon du bâton. Ensuite, Hésite. Hésite. Hésite, hésite encore et lance haut. Toujours en haut, hors de portée de la jambière ou du bâton du gardien. C'est
6: Essayer. Pour Essayer.
5: compter un but par déviation, il faut Essayer. rester devant le filet et attendre de lancer. Encore Mais attention! Essayer. Si affronter des joueurs de défense plutôt costauds. Et ça, c'est pas pour moi. le jeu que j'aime beaucoup et qui me satisfait vraiment, c'est par exemple quand je reçois dans notre zone une passe de Larry Robinson, qu'elle échappe à mon couvreur et que je tienne à toute vitesse à l'autre bout. vers le centre de la Ligue bleue, j'échange des passes avec Steve et Pierre. Ensuite, je m'en parle de la rondelle. Je me dirige vers le filet. Et tout près du gardien, je fais mon lancer. Puis je glisse la rondelle à style. Et lance. Et con, Et con Et compte, Et compte. Un jeu de collaboration comme celui-là m'excite souvent plus qu'un but que je compte moi-même vraiment toute une sensation de passer à l'attaque avec deux ou trois joueurs à tes trousses et de dominer ingénieusement le gardien de but. D'amener le gardien à changer de côté, de contrôler la rondelle malgré la confusion au des buts et finalement de la faire pénétrer d'une autre direction, c'est ça la récompense qu'apporte l'entraînement de le travail sérieux. C'est toujours un défi et c'est ça qui rend le hockey passionnant.